The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in John chapter 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. While you're turning there, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, this morning we started a new quarter in, in our uh, Sunday school curriculum with the Gospel Project. And uh, the Gospel Project chronological goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation over a period of three years. And so this morning they just started in Exodus. So uh, if you don't have not been to Sunday school in a while, it would be a great time to uh, re-engage uh, with that. Also, um, in the, on the table over there, and there's also one back here, there's uh, devotional guides that go along with our curriculum. And then currently, uh, right now, uh, during Children's Church, they are doing the Gospel Project for Kids. And so the idea there is to encourage parents and grandparents to be able to have spiritual conversations with, with the kids. So uh, that's what we're doing there. With that in mind, if you have your place, please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you for sending Jesus. And when we recognize that our world seems to have gotten darker of late, we have the children of God have Jesus to follow, and with that we have light. Pray, Father, for those who are with us this morning and watching online. We pray, Father, that the Word of God would, would dwell in our hearts, that we would see Jesus afresh this morning and so be changed by the encounter. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My cousin Brian, after he graduated from high school, enlisted in the Coast Guard, and he tells uh, one of his, his more memorable stories of his time was he was serving at a rescue station, Detroit, and a call came in that a family had gone missing in Lake Erie somewhere in the western basin off of Cedar Point. And so they began looking uh, into the evening and on into the night, and as they were about to turn north to refuel and switch crews, the co-pilot saw a flicker of light. No one else saw it. He just happened to be looking in the right direction at the right time. The way my cousin Brian says it is this, a, a little flicker of light saved an entire family. When times grow dark, a little bit of light is easily visible. The pages of human history reveal much darkness. But into that darkness came Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world. There are also times in our personal history when we realize that we too are in darkness and need light from heaven. Times of emotional turmoil, such as family trauma, breakdown in a relationship, death, suffering, children have gone astray, and mom and dad aren't getting along, husband and wife. And these times of trauma, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that as smart as we think we are, 
we are in fact walking in darkness. One of the things about being in, waking up in the middle of the night in my own bed is I, I know the room. If I get up to go to the bathroom, I know where not to walk, even if I'm not thinking about it, so I don't stub my toe. But occasionally, I still accidentally bang it on the bedposts or some other place. And it is a reminder that just as smart as you think you are, you are still walking in darkness. And we go through times of emotional turmoil or times when we are burdened and heavy laden, when our failures, fears, and doubts haunts us, past mistakes, past decisions, or the decisions of others for that matter. And sometimes we are fearful and anxious about the future. What kind of world will my children and grandchildren grow up in? What kind of values will they hold? And we become anxious, uncertain about what will happen with the stock market. Will our 401k be enough to sustain us through our retirement? In our passage this morning, there were a bunch of people living in darkness who were celebrating a time that the light of God had broken in. God delivered them from the burden of slavery and led them into the promised land. Where Jesus stands up to speak these words, They were celebrating the past, all while hoping for light to come in the future. And into this scene steps Jesus. They are at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in that feast, they were celebrating the delivery of slavery in Egypt. And at this festival, these are definitely not Baptist folks, because what they actually did was they would select the most pious and righteous men among them, and they would give them torches, and they would start dancing with all of their might to celebrate What God had done in delivering them. The light, what was going on was this. If you remember your history with the Old Testament, when the Israelites left Pharaoh's kingdom, they followed Moses who was following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So at night when they danced with the torches, they were celebrating the past, all while hoping for deliverance to come once again. They didn't understand or recognize that their failure to obey God had made them slaves of sin. And the picture of it was their being dominated by the Romans. They hoped for a king to come, a Messiah, a son of David, who would, in their mind, beat the Romans at their own game and show them strong once again. And into this celebration steps Jesus. He says that he is the light of of the world. Jesus had privately come to the feast, but everyone had been looking for him. He had gotten everyone's attention by this point. He had done something uh, dramatic. He had healed a man on the Sabbath. Of course, the man and others probably were happy. Those who had to work for a living were excited because a, a crippled man had been healed, but the religious rulers were angry because he had done it on the Sabbath. And, of course, they challenged him on this. What they had done was they had created laws. God had created laws, but they wanted to protect those laws. And so what they did was they created additional laws to serve as a barrier around the laws God had given. And Jesus had broken their laws, not God's. And when they challenged him, I said, hey, listen, you, you sacrifice a man on the Sabbath, so why are you upset with me for healing a whole man on the Sabbath? They had... Jesus had gotten their attention. 
He shows up and he's teaching in the temple, in the synagogue, and they sent people to arrest him, and the, the, this temple guard just turned around and left, and they said, why didn't you arrest him? He said, no one ever taught like this man. He taught as one who had authority. And, and so he shows up at the temple, and he finally stands up to speak, and he says, I am the light of the world. At the same ceremony, the same festival, the event occurred where the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery was brought in before Jesus. This is a beloved story. It's a true story. She's caught. She's guilty. That much no one seems to doubt. They drag her in before Jesus, and they said, Jesus, if you are an expert on the law, you should know this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Will you now pass sentence on her? She was guilty. The question was, what was he going to do? Was he going to act like sin is not a big deal? Was he going to drop the hammer of justice on her? Rightly so. Seeing the game they were playing and seeing their hearts for what they truly were. He says, let you who is without sin, you who are so swift to deal in death and judgment, let you be the first to cast a stone at her. And then he squats down and starts drawing in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote in the dirt. Maybe he was playing tic-tac-toe. Maybe he was writing the law because he knew it. But one by one, beginning with the oldest down to the youngest, they dropped their rock and walked out. Then he stands up, dusts himself. I imagine him dusting himself off. He looks at the lady and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, No, Lord. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. That is not a statement that she was not guilty. It was a statement that the one who had authority to judge her perfectly gave mercy and grace. Something new was dawning with the Son of God, the light of the world. And so in this festival, this is what's taking place. All this excitement about the remembering what God had done, all this excitement about Jesus who turns a little boy's lunch into a, a feast for thousands of people. And Jesus makes this bold claim about himself, saying that he is, the son, he is one with God the Father, the light of the world. Then he invites others to follow him. Following Jesus begins with believing in him. Lots of people say they believe in him, but not everyone wants to follow. When we are walking in darkness, darkness unless we follow jesus can i share with you something from personal experience i've known jesus for a long time there was also a long season where i clearly was not following him and i was undoubtedly walking in darkness i can't promise you that if you follow jesus you'll never stub your toe circumstances will never go wrong i can't promise you any of that but what i can promise you is this sometimes when you follow jesus the light is as bright as day and other times it's just a flicker in the distance but you'll always have the light you will never walk in total darkness jesus told his disciples that they were the light of the world but the light of a disciple is a reflected light the way the moon reflects the sun calvary baptist church intends to reflect the light of god in the world we don't do it perfectly but the light that is reflected is not our light it's Jesus' light. 
in our, in our life as a church, and in our life as Christians, in the life of other Christians and other churches, at various seasons they reflect the light more faithfully. But it is not our light. Can I suggest to you that the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus was that they thought their own, they thought the light that they were reflecting was their own, not God's. Thus they had no room for mercy or grace in their hearts. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted him snuffed out, silenced, but the people were growing to love him. The more faithfully you follow Jesus, the brighter your light will shine. Jesus invites you to follow in, so believe in him and follow him. He invites you to eternal life. That is why he came. But he has made a bold claim. And this, of course, sparks debate. As it always does, even to this day, the claims of Jesus are often debated. Can I share with you something? At the end of the day, I'm a preacher. And I simply tell you about Jesus and what God's word says. But your disagreement is not with me. It is with what God has said. To this day, can I challenge you what this idea of Jesus in his own words, what I'm really trying to do is say, take Jesus at his word. Listen to what he says and follow him. Nevertheless, his claim spikes debate as it always does and always does to this day. And it continues in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself, therefore your testimony is not true. They are trying to bring Jesus into their turf, which is the law. They're not alone in this. Don't be so quick to judge the Pharisees. The scientist wants to drag Jesus onto the scientific turf. How does he born to a virgin? How is it possible? Because he's God. He doesn't dwell inside your box. Scientists love science. Grateful for the medicines they provide and the learning. Even just yesterday, I was reading an academic journal article about the function of the knee because I'm deciding what exercises I should do for my lower body. Science told me about this stuff. But science wants to function. When they address the issue of God, they demand God reside inside their box. And he won't. He's beyond science. He's beyond the law. He's the inventor of all that you see that you could measure with your eye, with your microscope, your telescope. He is the inventor of the law that the Pharisees want to argue. Big mistake. They want to argue the law with the one who gave the law. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I am coming from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. In the scene before, they're, they're, when Jesus shows up, they're all talking about him. But he's from Galilee. Can anything good come from Galilee? When the Messiah comes, as, G, as God the Father promised, we're not going to know where he's from. They didn't understand all the stuff about Jesus being born and, 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 and spending time in a manger. They didn't know about the, the edict of Quirinius, where, they had, where Joseph's family had to travel from Galilee to Bethlehem because he was a descendant of David and Bethlehem was his hometown. Now, I've, I've read the pages in the past and I've determined something. That was fulfilling a prophecy from the book of Micah 700 years before it happened. They didn't know about that stuff. 
Jesus was, while he lives in Galilee, he was born in Bethlehem because he was a descendant of David, the Messiah. And in fact, what he is going to say is this, my real home is heaven. You judge according to the flesh, verse 15. I judge no one. For those of you who are really excited about that phrase, I judge no one, I think he's referring to his earthly ministry. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, we know that you must come from God because of all the miracles that you do. And he says, You must be born again. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in verse 17, he indicates that he has come not to condemn it, but to give eternal life to those who believe in him. It does not mean, however, that judgment day will not come. Verse 15 or 16. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I've wrestled with that. What does he mean when he says that? I think it's the authority with which he taught, the way in which he lived. Later, he challenges them, hey, if I've committed sin, go ahead and bear witness. Drag it out. Let's discuss it. What sin have I committed? When he does all of these miracles, and then in chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And because he does that, that was the moment where they decided he must be destroyed. Arguing with him about the law is not working. We must, we must kill him. Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And on the day he was baptized, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 19, they said to him, Therefore, who is your father? I think there was a subtle dig there because they didn't believe this whole virgin birth story. We're pretty sure you're immoral, or your mom was. And since your mom was, you were born in iniquity, according to Psalm 51. It doesn't fit science that your mom was born. You were born to a virgin. We don't believe that story. Where is your father? It's also possible Joseph had died by now. But later in the same passage, it becomes obvious that they're insulting Jesus about the nature of his birth. Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. Verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Oh, they wanted to arrest him. But Jesus remained ever in control. In this argument about whether he was qualified to serve as his own witness, he says, my witness is true. And your law demands two witnesses. Well, there's me and the Father. And you've already seen the way I've lived and what I've done. You don't know where I come from? That's true. I do. I've come from heaven. You cannot know Jesus 
through the shallowness of human insight. They wanted to debate the, Jesus on the terms of the law. They wanted to gain mastery over him. They had misunderstood the purpose of God's laws, his righteousness. R righteousness of God's law had become a tool through which they could rule people. The things that were intended to bring purity in the hearts of the, and lives of the children of God had become a tool of power. And Jesus was overthrowing them. So they kept trying to bring him into the debates. This made them very angry because they kept losing. They misunderstood the law. They thought it was intended to be a hammer of justice rather than means by which they would live righteously before God in their relationships with each other. The law of the Old Testament was to teach them how to love God and love people correctly. And they wanted to use, they wanted to debate Jesus, wanted to argue with Jesus, wanted him to demand a woman be stoned to death. They were looking, however, in the wrong direction. They were looking to the law to save them, thinking that by obeying it they could save themselves. They didn't see the light. They were looking in the wrong direction. Many people look in the wrong direction, and sometimes they still see a glimpse of Jesus, but look the other way. The question this morning is, do you believe Jesus is telling the truth about himself? You may not like me or my delivery or my presentation. That's besides the point. The question is, is do you believe Jesus is telling the truth? The argument continues in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He was talking about the fact that he is the Messiah. They had been looking for the Messiah. And if they didn't believe in him, they would keep on looking. Land ho. But we're going to, they're looking, so like somebody looking for land. They see land, and instead of docking, they keep looking for land. The Messiah has come. If you don't come to me, don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. Verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The same is true today. Verse 25. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. Ouch. Righteous people don't like to hear that they stand judged. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father has taught me. In this moment, there is this all of this allusion to the events of the Exodus. The, the ceremony with the fire. The law is discussed and debated. The law that God gave through Moses. And then he says, when, just as the serpent was lifted up, 
Here's what's going on. In the Old Testament during the Exodus, the people of Israel made God very angry once again. And so he sent in serpents. And they were biting people and they were dying. And so they went to Moses and said, Cry out to God on our behalf. So he does. And God tells him, Make a serpent out of bronze. Put it on a pole. Hold it up. Tell him to look at it. On that pole you see the instrument of justice for their sins in the form of a serpent. And Jesus says, Just as the serpent was rose, risen up, I too will be raised up. He's referring to the cross. This sinless man, this righteous man was going to be hung up on a cross. And he says, just as the servant was raised up, so will I be. Verse 29, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. They believed in him because they were looking in the right place to see the light. Looking in the right direction. They believed and were saved. And this is still true today. The religious rulers were looking for the Messiah. And if they had refused to believe in Jesus, they would miss out. They would keep on looking for him. And because they refused to believe in Jesus, they would die in their sins and so be judged instead of believing and being saved. The same holds true for us today. We are all looking for the Messiah, whether we use those words or not. Let me prove it to you. You heard of that thing they say called the, he's got a Messiah complex? And that person who has the Messiah complex can fix everything, can solve everything, they can determine right or wrong without considering God's Word. They can fix everything. They are good enough to save themselves. If there is a God, He will let me in because I'm one of the good guys. And if He won't let me in, it's because He's a fool. Really. That's a Messiah complex. Uh, people look to themselves to know what is right, to know what is good in their own mind, and the truth is they're walking in darkness. When the light of Christ is shown, sometimes they respond, and other times they recoil in horror. What's that like? Well, if you're in a well, a, light, a room that's got a lot of strong lights, and all of a sudden they flick them on, and it's... Sometimes when it's like that when they see Jesus. They're walking in darkness. They get a glimpse of Him, and they're like, recoiling. Some look to the government. I'm not opposed to good government. Some look to love to save. I told you before, my mental jukebox kicks on when I put sermons together. And, and when I thought about things that we look to to save us instead of Jesus, the song from the Eagles went through my head. I'm, I'm going to sing it, but forgive me. I've got to know if your sweet love is going to save me. That's why I preach and don't sing. Amen. Don't say that too loud. Oh, there's more songs. There's a song that came out in about 2001. Everyone, people thought it was a Christian song. 
They thought it was about Jesus bringing us back to life, but they're actually what it was about was a person wanting someone to love them so bad so that if they were in love and the person loved them, they would come back to life. That's Lincoln Park if you want to know. We look to government. You know what is a strange thing? So I'm like this nerd guy. You guys know this. Here's my nerd moment. When you study uh, sociology at college, you learn about Karl Marx, you learn about Solzhenitsky, you learn about Lenin and all these people that did horrible things in this world. And the people who write them seem to be sympathetic to them anyway. Because Lenin, Stalin, and all of these horrible people were trying to create utopia without God. And the ends justified the means. The church speaks up against what you're doing? Arrest them. Pay kids to turn their parents in. Called those the brown shirts. If someone has to be defended for killing millions of people because you like their thinking about how a government should function, that ought to wake you up. You are walking in darkness. Well, the United States, are they perfect? Heavens, no. Ask the American Indians. Ask those in the African-American community about the eugenics movement where they tried to neuter men so they wouldn't reproduce. If we're looking to government, we are looking in the wrong direction. We look to Jesus and we follow Him. A little light can save a whole family. My family knows that. My family walked in darkness. And Jesus got a hold of Bill and Jeanette Kitnoya. And the difference it's made for a time, I w- tried to walk in darkness, but the light wouldn't leave me alone. And I'm grateful for that. We are all looking for the Messiah. And this is still true today. God the Father would ultimately prove that Jesus was indeed the Christ, His Son, when He raised Him from the dead. The Jews, because they were limited, could not crucify Jesus. Why they demanded that other than it fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. But they didn't have the power and the authority to do it. So they got the Romans involved. And God said, my son is righteous. And he raised him from the dead. One of the things his resurrection means is that God the Father accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. At Christmas, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human flesh and dwelled among us. He is a light who gives eternal life to men. On Good Friday, He was lifted up and hung on the cross. He died, literally, graveyard dead. He was buried, a dead man. On the third day, He rose again. He came and died and did this to offer Himself to you.
the Savior, the Son of God, the light of life. What do we do with this? I think for the child of God, the response is to decide to become more like Jesus, to follow Him more closely, that His light might reflect more brightly in your community. I can't promise you that will go smoothly. I can promise you, you won't regret doing it. I know from experience. And if you've not done that before, and you know they're going to be like, what's going on with this person? You can say, Jesus has changed me. Perhaps this morning you need to decide to join Calvary Baptist Church and join us as we follow Him. We are not a perfect church. Our light does not perfectly shine, but we are trying to follow Jesus. And maybe you want to join us. Be a part of this family. Finally, as Chad comes for our song of invitation, if you're a person who decides you want to follow Jesus, perhaps more intently than you have been, the altars are open for you to pray. If you want to join Calvary Baptist Church, make that decision known. But perhaps you want to call on Jesus for salvation. You want to follow the light who gives life. I want to help you do that. Make your way to the front, and I will help you lead you in a simple prayer. If this morning you've come to the point where you realize you're a sinner, and that means that you're walking in darkness, and you've caught a glimpse of the light, Jesus wants to save you. And he's calling you to him. This morning, if you'd like to turn away from that sin and turn to Jesus for salvation, I want to help you call him. He will hear you, and he will save you. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.